We meet today in Isaiah chapter 62 to chapter 64. Out of this, these three chapters, we are going to look at the ambition of the Messiah for Israel, the anticipation of the millennium, the announcement for that future day, the winepress of judgment, in wrath the Savior remembers mercy, God's control of the universe is recognized, and finally, man's condition in the universe confessed. Isaiah chapter 62 presents before us the yearning of the Messiah for the anticipated joys, and actually there ought to be a yearning in the hearts of every believer for these joys. What is that yearning? For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. Isaiah 62 verse 1. That is the Messiah's longing. That is his ambition. And that is still a future realization. Jerusalem cannot have peace today because her Messiah is not there yet. Presently he is seated at the right hand, longing to rule that city in righteousness. And only the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. The heart of the prophet, as well as the heart of every godly soul on earth, enters into this longing. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. Now, a new heart, a new situation, a new earth, and a new righteousness demands a new earth. We will all be new, and we are going to be in the new Jerusalem. Israel is going to have a new position in the world. You shall no longer be tamed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be tamed desolate, but you shall be called Hepzibah, and your land Behula, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. Isaiah 62 verse 4. Now, Israel has been forsaken up to this day, this is the picture in the name of Israel since the crucifixion of Christ. When you look at that land today, the words that comes to your mind is forsaken and desolate. And these are the words in verse 4 here. But in the coming kingdom, Israel shall be called Hepzibah, which means delightful. It is going to be a delightful story. Behula means married. In other words, the king is present to protect it, and his presence means joy. Israel in her redeemed state and splendor is figuratively called the bride of God, just as the new Jerusalem is referred to as the bride of the Lamb in Revelation 21, verse 2, verse 9, and verse 10. So God will delight over Israel as a bridegroom delights over a bride. So there is the anticipation of the millennium, where God will be delighting over his bride, the church, over Israel as well. And that time 
will come. It's another anticipation. Not only do we have a longing for the millennium, but we also have the anticipation of it. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Isaiah 62 verse 6. You see, this longing is actually contagious. The thirsty soul longs to drink. And every right-thinking person can pray for the peace of Jerusalem and long for that day when there will be peace. So we have seen the longing, the anticipation, but then the announcement for that future day comes. Let's drop down to the announcement for that future day, and that is coming to Isaiah 62, verse 11. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. You see here, the Lord has gone to Zion together with a great multitude, and some people consider this as a reference to the triumphant entry into Jerusalem recorded in Matthew 21, verse 1 to verse 9. In any case, the nations announce God's salvation to the daughter of Zion. This announcement is pertinent for the present hour, as this verse indicates the salvation of Israel is part of God's overall plan of salvation. We ought to present the gospel to every Israelite. The Israelites need salvation as well in Christ Jesus. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. Isaiah 62, verse 12. Israel today cannot be called a holy people because they are not yet redeemed. Jerusalem is a forsaken city right now, but the day is coming when things will be different. The people will be called a holy people, and the land will be greatly desired. What a glorious picture, what a glorious future that we have. Now, the content of the first six verses of Isaiah 63 is certainly in contrast to the preceding section of Isaiah 62. It really seems out of keeping with the tenor of this entire section of Isaiah, but judgment. Then the second part of that chapter reveals the loving kindness which Christ manifests toward his own. First of all, Let's consider the winepress of judgment. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Isaiah 63 verse 1. Now, a few considerations are necessary. There is a question mark here. Who is this who comes from Edom? And then you have the name Bozrah. Bozrah was once a city, a great city of Edom. And Edom personifies the unrelenting hostility of the pagan world toward Israel. And it is also symbolic of the flesh and the entire Adamic race. 
So here we see the judgment of men. The Edomite kingdom came to a complete end in the time of the Maccabees, when the Edomites were forced to become Jews. Now the dyed garments here may also be translated red-stained garments. In other words, he comes from Edom and the east, and we are told elsewhere that his feet will touch on the Mount of Olives in the east. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? Isaiah 63 verse 2. Now, in that day, men would get into the winepress barefooted to tread out the grapes. The red juice would spurt out of the ripe grapes and stain their garments. And that is the picture you have in this verse. And that is why this question is asked. Why is your apparel red? The spectators see that there is blood on his beautiful garments, just as if he had trodden the winepress. Now listen to his answer. It is a very interesting answer. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I have trodden them in my anger and trembled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. Isaiah 63 verse 3. Now, the early church fathers associated these first six verses of Isaiah chapter 63 with the first coming of Christ. They mistook here the winepress as the suffering of Christ on the cross. Such an interpretation is unattainable as the blood upon his garments is not his blood but that of others. It is the day of vengeance, and this is a frightful picture. The picture you have here is when Christ is conquering over all his enemies, judging all those who never stood with him. And my friend, this is the end of man's little day upon the earth. The king is coming to the earth in judgment, and that judgment is frightful. But he is coming in judgment when he returns to this earth. And he has not asked me to apologize for him. That's why we need to tell. It's not about scaring people of the coming judgment. It's the reality of what God would do. Even though God comes to judge, yet in wrath the Savior remembers mercy. The next section we are considering, we see that in wrath the Lord Jesus remembers mercy to those who are his. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great boldness toward the house of Israel which he has bestowed on them according to his riches, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Isaiah 63 verse 7 Now, do you see here that the entire content and intent changes abruptly at this point. It is as if you are coming out of darkness into the sunlight of noonday. It is like turning from black to white. Now, my friend, our God is glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders, and this is only an aspect, one aspect of his many attributes. He is a good God, and he exhibits loving kindness. He is also a God of mercy. 
if these attributes were not evident in God, we would all be consumed today. You may be sure of that. He has come in judgment to take over this earth, but in his wrath he remembers mercy. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence served them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Isaiah 63 verse 9 Because he is the Savior who remembers mercy. In all their affliction he was afflicted. You see, his love and his pity, he redeemed them and he bore them and carried them. That is the mercy of God. But we are also introduced to some words that are very interesting. For example, there is the angel of his presence. It occurs here in parallel to pronouns referring to God himself. It says here, and the angel of his presence served them. This is the angel of the Lord who acted on Israel's behalf at the Exodus and other times and he is considered to have been the pre-incarnate Christ. The instances in which the angel of the Lord appeared is, for example, Genesis 18 verse 2, Exodus 14 verse 19, Joshua 5 verse 13 to 15. Now, in the section that we are considering in the book of Isaiah chapter 63, verses 8 to verse 10, refer to God as the Father, as the angel, and as the Holy Spirit. Now, that is a hint of the triune nature of God, more fully presented, even right there in the Old Testament, as well as it is presented in the New Testament. Luke chapter 3, verse 22. Isaiah 63, verse 15 to verse 16 says, Look down from heaven and see from your habitation, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your strength, the yearning of your heart and your mercies toward me? Are they restrained? Doubtless you are our father. Though Abraham was ignorant of us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from everlasting is your name. God was the father of the nation of Israel, but there is no thought in the Old Testament that he was the father of the individual Israelite. It is a corporate term rather than a personal one in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it becomes personal, not corporate. As Abraham was the father of the nation and not of each individual Israelite, so God too was the father of the nation. What does Israel know out of that relationship? God is their redeemer. He is everlasting. He is their father. We have become like those of old over whom you never ruled, those who were never called by your name. Isaiah 63 verse 19. Here now we see the Israelites surrendering completely to God. This should be the attitude of the Christian today, complete yielding to God. And now most of us are afraid to surrender to God because we are afraid he will be hard on us. 
Now, God wants to be gentle with us if we will give him a chance. But remember that he is also the God of judgment. He is the one who is coming to the earth someday to tread the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath. Now, Isaiah chapter 64 continues the pleading of the hungry hearts for the presence of God in life affairs. No child of God today can be immune to such eager petitions. The Christian can cry with the same passionate desire, even so, come Lord Jesus. Revelation 22 verse 20. So Isaiah chapter 64 begins here with God's control of the universe being recognized. All that you would rent the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Isaiah 64 verse 1. Here the prophet is pleading with God just as the remnant of Israel will do in that day of the great tribulation. This scripture is addressed to the remnant of Israel, but as believers we can identify with them. Our prayer today should be for the return of the Lord. Even so, come Lord Jesus. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Isaiah 64 verse 2. You see, just as fire makes water boil, so the presence of God would make the nations tremble. Today the nations are not really conscious of the existence of God. In that day, they will become aware of him. The mountains will melt. That is, they will become molten at his presence. The enemies then will cry for the mountains to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. As Revelation chapter 6 verse 16 tells us, it will be a time of judgment. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you, who acts for the one who waits for him. Isaiah 64 verse 4. Very interesting. This same quotation is made a reference to by the Apostle Paul particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. For he tells us there that no ear has heard, no eyes have seen, nor has it even entered the minds of men. Now, the hearing and the seeing here refers to knowledge of God through his works. The Holy Spirit is the one who unfolds God's revelation to men. First of all, Man is created in the image of God, according to Genesis 1 verse 27. And God has a particular unique plan for each individual that is emphasized even in Psalm 139 verse 13 to verse 16. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. God made provision for man's recognition. God made provision for man's reconciliation with his creator. The way of salvation is carefully taught in Scripture. The millennial kingdom in which God's people will be fellow citizens is promised. 
And the apostle refers to this in a free paraphrase as I made reference to earlier on. So men cannot help being astonished at the wonder of the works of God. That's why the prophet would even burst with these words, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Tremendous words confirming what God will do. Then man's condition in the universe is also confessed. Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fed as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Indeed, this is a popular passage of the word of God, and it says quite a lot. The prophet here compares Israel to the case of the leper in the time of Moses. According to Leviticus chapter 13 verse 45, but we all like an unclean thing. And then he uses another statement, filthy rags. Filthy rags is a reference to dressings employed by women during menstruation. Notice that this is the best way which men have to offer, which is compared to these things. That's what men can offer to God. And so he says, when we think we have righteousnesses, they are filthy rags, like filthy rags. This is not only true of Israel, my friend, but it is also true of the entire human family. This is why it's fitting to describe this man's condition in the universe is confessed here. But we all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fed as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Both the Jew and the Gentile alike have sinned and they come short of the glory of God. We are all like an unclean thing and our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Now, my friend, it does not matter what we might consider to be good works today. Whatever it is, God calls it filthy rags. You cannot bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing. A lost sinner is unable to do anything that is acceptable to God. He must, first of all, come to God his way. And coming to God, God's way is only coming through Christ, not through any other means. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our porter. And all we are the work of your hand. Isaiah 64 verse 8. Here we see that even Paul made this distinction in his speech in Athens. In Acts chapter 17 verse 28 to 29, Paul said, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. You see, man here is the offspring of God in that he was created by God. 
but not all men are the born again sons of God. You and I can only become the sons of God one way, and that is through Christ Jesus. Our holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praised you, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Isaiah 64, verse 11. Here we see Isaiah writing as if this has already taken place, but it didn't happen until about 100 years after Isaiah. The temple was destroyed at the same time Jerusalem was destroyed. The way God writes, he sees things already finished, and that is the way he is speaking there. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? Isaiah 64, verse 12. It's very interesting here. The prophet closes this chapter with a question. Will you refrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us every and afflict us very severely? That's an interesting question. So the reminder, so the remainder of Isaiah's prophecy is God's answer to this question. God rejected Israel only after they rejected him, but it did not frustrate his plan and purpose for them and for the earth. God has carried through with his program, which is not yet finalized. What a glorious book that we see. In our next study, we will see how God continues to bring those purposes of his to completion. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code two seven followed by 7264144475 from within south africa it's 0726414475